If you'd like to turn to Psalm 22, we will be in there part of our time. And I'm a little sniffly today, so I hope you'll put up with some of that. <laughs> I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Oh, Father, you are, you are good and your love does endure forever. I pray, God, that as we, as we listen today, that God will just be reminded, we'll, we'll be in this place of, of security, uh, knowing that, that you are our protector. God, we, we ask that this time will just be your time to maybe again woo our hearts, um, maybe again remind us that, that we are not alone and we weren't made to be alone. That we were meant to, to cry out to you and have a relationship with you, to speak to you um, and to hear your voice. And I pray that you'll teach us today how to do that in a way that honors you, um, in a way that is honest, that is really speaking the desire of our hearts, but also acknowledging the desire of your heart I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we sang a song called Nothing Without You, and the lyrics go like this. They say, they say, take these hands, I lift them up, for I have not the strength to praise you near enough, for I have nothing without you. It says, take my voice, I pour it out, let it sing the song of mercy I have found, for I have nothing without you. And then the chorus says this, it says, All my soul needs is all your love to cover me, so all the world will see that I have nothing without you. It says, Take my body and build it up. May it be broken as an offering of love, for I have nothing without you. Today we're going to be speaking about what we're calling the, the head and the heart of prayer. And the reason why I wrote, read that song was because I think we oftentimes find ourselves in our prayers maybe incessantly asking God, uh, God, this, this life you've given me, this body, these hands, these eyes, this heart, but how do I use them well? How do I even pray well? And how do we develop a conviction from which to live that we, we maybe know how to, how to use this mortal flesh that we've been given? How do we do that? Um, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of sources that give us answers to that question. And, and I have a slide here that it kind of interestingly, it shows in an interesting way the, the way that we've, um, we've moved. Can you actually cut the fans too because they're blowing my papers everywhere? Thank you. Um, so this is, I read an article in Atlantic Monthly, interestingly called, Is Facebook Making Us Lonely? Um, one, of the <laughs> one of the statistics that I threw out in here was really interesting. So in, in the 1940s, this is what it looked like as far as maybe sources that we'd go to to tell us about ourselves. And they weren't, they weren't maybe as popular as they are now, as you can see, there was uh, 
2,500 clinical psychologists, uh, 30,000 social workers, 500 marriage and family therapists. Now look at 2004 and just statistically the huge increase, the huge jump. That is, it's astounding, right? So when we, when we go and we say, how do I use this life? How do I use this, these hands you've given me? How do I use the heart you've given me, the life you've given me? What's caused this increase? I mean, <laughs> to, to not only you know, 192,000 clinical social workers, but 400,000 non-clinical social workers, right? What, what has caused this increase? And the way that the article in the Atlantic Monthly uh, summarized it is it says that we have outsourced the work of everyday caring. We've outsourced the work of everyday caring. So it's not that you have to care anymore. It's not that I have to care anymore. We can pay somebody to care for us, right? And, and we can pay somebody to tell us how we should use our lives. Look, 30,000 life coaches what is a life coach? It's somebody who will tell you how to use your hands and your heart and your life and everything, how to exercise, how to be. Is this where we go for our source of how to use our head and our hearts? Um, so this is important as we enter into the subject of prayer. How do we pray well? Well, I don't advise that you get a life coach to tell you how to pray well. You know, it's interesting when we talk about the head and the heart because I, definitely our giftings come out. Um, the ways we were made comes out. Some of you guys are really good at using your heads. Some of you are really good at using your hearts. Maybe fewer are good at both. Um, and we kind of lean one way or the other. So I'm just going to talk quickly just about what I mean by those things and, and maybe how we can get our bearing on praying well. Um, the first is the head. How do we really use our, our heads in praying? And, and what I mean by that, what I mean by using our head in praying is, I mean acknowledging objectively the reality of God. And objectively because the reality of God is regardless of our circumstances. God is God, regardless of our circumstances. In Psalm 22, we get a flavor of this in David, and we're going to look at a few of his psalms as we, uh, as we consider what it looks like to use our head in prayer. Uh, in Psalm 22, he, he just got done being delivered from um, he, the enemy Saul, and, um, and he's remembering this song, and, and this is how it goes, starting in verse 2. It says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield... So this is Second Samuel. I don't know if I said First Samuel or Second. I'm, I'm confusing you and me. I'm going to blame this all on my head cold. Second Samuel 22. Both were written by David. <clears throat> I'm just going to take this moment to blow my nose. And uh, <laughs> don't worry, I won't. <laughs> Thank you. That, was, that was considered. <laughs> Maybe we can just completely edit this sermon here and we can just go back and I can talk it to you later. Okay, <laughs> 2 Samuel 22. Diving back in. 
Um, starting in verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from mine enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. And it goes on. But what I want to point out to you is David using his head here is just acknowledging who God is. It says in here, he calls God his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, refuge, shield, his horn of salvation, one who is worthy of praise. This is who God is regardless of how we are feeling, right? That's how we use our head in prayer, is recognizing who God is, changeless when we are changing knowledgeable when we feel like we are going crazy, good when evil seems to be winning, and wanting a relationship with us even when we are far away. That is how we use our head in prayer. We're acknowledging who God is, changeless. If you would like to now turn with me to Psalm 22, God is, is changeless in his, his character. And, and this helps us tremendously when we are praying because oftentimes when we are praying, we begin our prayers going, God, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know what's going on here. Um, you know, two days ago, I was on cloud nine. And now I... I don't even know what cloud nine means. And, and in Psalm 22, this is what David shares. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out to you day by day. But you do not answer by night and I am silent. Yet you, have, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are praised you are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. Right, so this is David's, this is how he finds his equilibrium, right? So as he goes into this, this moment of grief, my God, why, I feel so forsaken. I'm crying to you. I don't feel like you're listening to me. And what does he fall back on? He says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are, you are God regardless of the way I am feeling right now. You are changeless. And he, he receives comfort from that. And, and us using our heads in prayer have to be able to acknowledge who God is as he's enthroned regardless of how we're feeling. God is all-knowing. A, a few years ago, uh, this psalm, Psalm 13, brought me tremendous comfort because the first part of it was how I was feeling, and the end of it is where I wanted to also find myself. In Psalm 13, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? And this is the line that, that really resonated with me during that time. It says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? It was this time where I was like, how long must I wrestle with these thoughts that don't necessarily make sense to me? And then the end, as you get in verses five and six, it says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. God is knowledgeable, even when we don't know. Even when we're in those moments where we're wrestling with our thoughts and we're saying, how long, O Lord, do these thoughts, will they not make sense to me? When we pray with our heads, which we're meant to, we're meant to come to him and say to him, but I trust in you because your love is unfailing. You are, like David said in, in 2 Samuel, he says, you are my rock, my fortress, my refuge, my deliverer. That's who you are. Right? You, God, you know, you know, you declare it from the beginning what is still to come. You know all these things, and I am just, I am limited in my capacities. Prayer does not take you perfectly knowing, but you knowing the one who does know perfectly and trusting that. It's a radical act of trust because we will be in moments in our lives where we just go, I don't, I don't get this. Right? But prayer is coming to God and going, but you do get this. And I'm going to trust in that. Acknowledging God, uh, his character being all, all good. Um, in Psalm 27, David, David walks into this again like the other psalms we read, starting in verse 7 of, of chapter 27. He says, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God. My Savior, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. And then he ends, like as all his other psalms, with this, with this upswing of hope as he says, But I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Right? As we use our heads, we're not just going, God, you are unchanging when I change so much. God, you, you know when everything seems so cloudy to me, but it's saying, God, you are good when, when everything to me doesn't seem good. Right? If we just follow our hearts, <laughs> And just enter that place of uncertainty. We will constantly, constantly think that God is uncertain and God is changing. But we have to pray with our heads, going, God, you are faithful. Your love endures forever. God, you are good and you're, you desire good things for me. That's the testimony of scripture. And we have to rely upon that in a forceful way. The last thing, talking about, you know, Eva talked about the character of God. These are characteristics of God. Um, the last one is that, that God is, we must trust that God is desiring a relationship with us even when we are not desiring a relationship with him. And he wanted it before we wanted it. That is the message of reconciliation. In, in Psalm 131, uh, 
the way David compares this is he says, but I've stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. <laughs> like a weaned child because God is like that, that parent, right, who is there. Oftentimes we can treat prayer and our relationship with God like, like a, a bank drive up where we go, and there's, I was fascinated by this ever since I was a child, but you have your, your little capsules, you know what I'm talking about? And, and all you got to do is like put your deposit in there or whatever it is. And, and you, you shove it in there and, you know, and, and it, it like, it goes somewhere. And then, and maybe like the magical fairy voice will come over the intercom and, and tell you something. But, but you might just get it right back, right? Money's in it. You're good to go. Right, and, and we, we oftentimes think about prayer being this sort of relationship um, where, where it, is, it is literally an exchange of words, right? Or an exchange of, and maybe even our, when we think about a head, using our heads in prayer, it can be simply like, I'm just going to transfer information to God and then he'll give me something back. But it's not like the bank drive through right? Where we just... <laughs> shove it in and, you know, and, and thank you. And, and it comes back and we've got it. Prayer is very different than that. We're, we're, to use our heads, we must begin seeing God as, as who he is, right? And be able to pray with conviction, God, God, even in my uncertainties, this is who you are and I'm going to rely upon that. In James, it compares us to a wave that's just blown around, right, if we don't have these convictions. But we have to begin with these convictions to pray. When we begin with a conviction of who God is, our prayers will be transformed into acts of exaltation, where we're exalting who God is, rather than sometimes what would merely be exasperation. You know what I mean? When our prayers can be exasperations because we just feel like we're just getting something out, right? We're just trying to unload and maybe magically something else will happen. But God really means our prayers to be exalting him because he is capable, he's able to do more than we can ask or imagine. So do we pray with conviction about who God is? And, I, and if we do pray with conviction of who God is, that will transform our very hearts and it should. Um... So when we talk about heart, what do I mean when, we, when I talk about heart? Because some people are just, they're really good at the whole head thing. Uh, sometimes in my life I've been very good at that, where, where I've got the whole concept down. Right? But then but how do we pray with our hearts? How do, we, how do we engage our hearts? And what I mean by this is how do we pray meaningfully? How do we pray meaning what we say? Because our prayers are not meant to be empty words. Oftentimes, you can be in a, in a time of prayer with people, and, and you'll feel like they're just making something up. I'm not thinking about you. Um, right? But you'll, you'll be there, and you'll be like, so do we have prayer requests? And people will be like, well, I don't know. And, and you can tell they're just struggling for something. <laughs> you know, and then they throw something out. They're like, yeah, yeah we, I mean, I guess we can pray about this. <laughs> like, it's a lotto. Right? That we like, like maybe, maybe if I play, it'll, it'll come out in my favor. Right? But, but prayer isn't like that. 
right? Where we maybe throw it out there and maybe it will come back. God means for us to pray in a way that, that what we're praying about is deeply, deeply meaningful to us. The heart literally and in, in, in scripture is seen as this, this like seat of our affections. Um, it's what we really desire and, and prayer is meant to be that. So we're coming to God, we're coming to him as king. We've already acknowledged his character, one who is powerful, changeless. And so we're not just coming and going like, well, you can do this if you want, if you got time, right? But we're coming to him in earnest, right? So little are our prayers effective because we are not earnest people, right? We are, we are a nation of apathetic people, we really are, where, where we can get the job done and be satisfied with it. But, but God is asking for something far more from us than that because he created us for, for not only our minds to be engaged, but our hearts to be engaged, where we're, where we're literally passionate about what we are praying about. But we have been so, so corrupted because we have a culture that has fabricated things, created things to simply arouse our affections that has cheated us from having genuine affection. We have, let me say this again, we have fabricated things to arouse our affection and, and literally what they do is they replace where our passion should be because true passion, healthy passion, should be something that you cultivate, you fight for, you desire, you see that it's good even when maybe you don't want it at that time, right? You fight for it. Um, I was on Friday in a, in a classroom in North Kitsap. One of the pastors of Gateway teaches a, a class in one of the health classrooms, and, uh, and he was talking about about the affections and how we, we cultivate those. And he said, they're literally like, like in our brain, if, if people use something like pornography or something else to arouse them, literally what happens is you create these pathways in your brain, right? These pathways that it is incredibly hard to break out of those. So then when you seek to have healthy affection, you're ruined, Right? And this is what happens to us, that we, we live in a culture that's trying to constantly arouse our affections in one way or another, trying to, to make us feel or be passionate about something, whether it's a lazy boy recliner or the ice cream that you're going to eat or, you know, whatever it is, you're like, like be excited about this. And, and when, when God talks to us, he says, guard your heart from these things because there are things to be passionate about. There are things to literally give your heart for. But, but we are a confused people. And as you saw this slide earlier, we are, we are asking so many people and so many questions going, how do I use my life? How do I use my affections? Right? And we're so confused. I would say this is probably the number one confusion that I talk to people with on a daily basis is them going, I just don't know how to feel. <laughs> Right? I don't know how to feel right, right? And, and maybe if, if it's a conflict in marriage, it's that. If it's a conflict in any area in their life, it's just going, what do I do? And, and God has answers for us. And he means prayer to be not only a way of expressing our affections and our desires, but a, a ways of, of creating again or seeking again uh, a healthy view of life. And so we come to God and we go, 
O Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in your way. God, I, I know that I have done things that have corrupted my heart in ways that I just don't know how to feel right. God, change me. And he can, right? whether it's pornography or any of those other things that I've mentioned that, that maybe you've created those pathways in your mind that you're just like, I just don't know how to feel right. Come to God for healing. And it's, it's necessary because, because that is why, that I think is our number one reason why prayer is so challenging. Because we have no affection. Right? We, we're not earnest. We're not passionate enough. Because if we were passionate, we would, we would enter our closets and pray a lot more. There's, there's a variety of things to be passionate about, and I want to I highlight three of them. The first is the, the general hurt, loneliness, and pain caused by a variety of things that we see in the world. Are you moved by that anymore? In 1 John 3... It says this, it says, this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love in word or tongue but in action and in truth. Did you get this? This blew me away when I read this this week. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need and, and has not pity on them, how can the love of God be in him? Wow. The early church was known by this. In a letter that Emperor Julius in the fourth century wrote to a priest, he said this, he says, the impious Galileans, referring to the Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. And he was writing this because he was trying to create social services because everyone was wanting to become a Christian or, or get to know what the Christians were doing because the Christians were just so passionate about helping people. <laughs> One historian says, Christianity revitalized life in the Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social, social relationships. It says the city's filled with homeless and impoverished, but Christianity offered charity as well as hope. The city's filled with newcomers and strangers, and Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. The city filled with orphans and widows, and the Christians provided a new sense of expanded family. <laughs> they were moved. They were moved by this message of who Jesus is and how he changes our lives. And they, they, they reached out. Are we, are we moved by those things anymore? Because that will change the way we pray. It will change the way we pray for our city or those around us. It strikes me how, how probably most of us, including myself, I'll be honest, probably know or feel like we know more about the personal life of the president than we do about the personal life of our neighbors. Right? And, and that's... <laughs> It's, it's a strange thing, right? <laughs> we live in a way that, that we sometimes can be more concerned about the pictures we see 
on CNN than we do maybe about the, the, the view we get when we're walking to work <laughs> or something else like that, right? So, so we get, our affections get messed with so much because we're, we're, we try to embrace this global awareness which is given to us by pictures that we see spread out. And God's like, man, look at the people around you too. Like, don't forget them. And we forget that, man, maybe our heart should break for those people, and, and, and I think we need to pray for that. The second is the reality of people who don't know Jesus. Does that impact us anymore? In the 70s and 80s, there was a, a man named Francis Schaeffer who created this, this uh, amazing home in the Alps that people came, and, and, they'd, and he went around speaking too, but they'd come just to get refreshed and to learn about Jesus, and and uh, a famous evangelist went to him, and, and uh, he was having dinner, and there's this conversation around the table. And usually it was just very intellectual and, and very stimulating. And then somebody said, they said, Dr. Schaefer, what happens to the, to the unbeliever who, who dies? And, and though the conversation had been rich and everyone had been talking a lot, it says that Francis Schaefer just bowed his head and wept. Is that how you feel? And I, I'm going to be completely, I want to be honest with you guys. That, that wouldn't be my response to be like, well, if we look at, right? <laughs> but we, I, I want to be, I want to be honest with you guys because we need to be open about this. If we're going to really pray with our heads and our hearts and we're going to acknowledge who God is and his desire for reconciliation of all people, and, and we, can, we can say that, and then, but like, are we being changed? Like, are we vulnerable to be changed in our hearts? Um, continually be changed? Do we weep over that? Uh, Leonard Ravenhill, who, who just was a firebrand for the gospel, he says, in churches we know how to get crowds. He says, but, but do we know where God is leading us or what he has commanded us? Do we know his heart? Have we a pain in our hearts for the perishing people? Does the toll of 85 people dying without Christ every minute have an impact on us right now? Does it give us a spirit of seriousness? Does that give us a spirit of seriousness? Can we at this moment look into the face of the living God, for he is looking down on us and say, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. <laughs> woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. What does this have to do with prayer, right? It seems a lot more action-focused. Action well, turn with me, if you would, to, to Matthew 9. And in Matthew 9, in verses 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Right? What does it have to do about prayer? Jesus saw 
them and he had compassion on them. He was moved. There was another time when he wept over them and he said, I just want to draw them to myself. And what is, he, what is his response? He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send people. He says, pray. He doesn't just say go. Because you could go and your heart wouldn't be changed, right? You could go but still be cold, right? You could go and not care. You could pass out bread all day long and not not really <laughs> desire that they would know the God who made them and wants to have a relationship with them, right? You could do all that, right? I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, right, which is so powerful. It says, you could give your body to the flames but not have love. And so God says, ask the Lord of the harvest. Plead for the Lord of the harvest. Send workers. Don't just, don't just send people. Send workers. People who will be disciplined. People who will go out wanting, like, oh God, anyone would be saved, please, right? So let us ask together, let us be serious and ask God together to send workers and to send us. The last one it was, is an interesting one. Are we praying with our hearts concerning ourselves? Are we moved to pray for ourselves, because I think some of us are very effective at stopping our hearts when it comes to that point of personal reflection. Personal reflection when, when it might come to the point of us weeping over where we have been headed ourselves. <laughs> and have we come to the point of going, God, at all costs, do that work in me? In 1 Samuel, there's a woman by the name of Hannah who is, who is grieving. And, and you might say, that's, well, that's not a huge issue. She just doesn't have any kids. Right? There's, other, there's people dying in the world. And, but this is something that is just, she's passionate about. Right? And so she comes before God passionately. And in verse 10, Chapter 1, we find her, it says, In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli, who was the high priest, observed her mouth, and Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, so her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And said, how long, he just, he just busts out with this, right? He just sees her in there, he's like, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. That was kind of insensitive, Eli. <laughs> not so, Hannah replies. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my heart. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. <laughs> How oftentimes do we come to God and maybe we're at the point of really wanting something, but we will not go before God in anguish. We'll just go, why do I not have this? I am bitter. <laughs> Are you spending time before God with what you what you? What is so far ingrained in your soul that you're like, I don't even know how to rip this out of my soul to give to you, God. 
right? So she, she wasn't even uttering words. Maybe this was something like in, in Romans 8 where it says, and, and the spirit will groan in, in words that we can't even express, right? Because, because we're spending time with them and saying, God, there is there's something in me I want to get out, and I don't know, I don't know how, I don't even know how, maybe how to feel anguish over this, God, because I have so effectually cut off my heart, <laughs> right? Are we a people that are earnest? Do we know what it means to be earnest? Do we know what it means to be passionate? Are we people that talk about prayer? So the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I pray that, that God will be calling out our church. God will be calling maybe us out this week to pray. To pray with both our head and our heart. To pray acknowledging who he is. God, you are a rock. You are a fortress. You are not changing. You know things that haven't even crossed our minds. God, and you want a relationship with us and and so we're acknowledging that. And then, and then we're coming before him, learning, perhaps, learning how to be earnest, learning how to pray, because, because if you have pain in your heart and you're not bringing it to God, but maybe you're letting that fester in such a way that, that that's turning into bitterness, right? Because you're not willing to just go before him and go, oh, God, is this worth an hour of your time to pray about this? And I encourage you, even on top of that, if your heart is overflowing with joy, to pour it out in thanksgiving to God. Um, this, this was all I thought about on my run yesterday when I was up in the forest. And, um, and I kept thinking back to, to last week when we were talking about Solomon. And it said that Solomon sacrificed a thousand sacrifices to God. A thousand of them. And we talked about this on Wednesday night how those thousand sacrifices were probably just thank offerings. They were praising God. And I thought, how long would it take me if I wrote down a thousand things I was thankful for? Would I be able to do that very well? Right? <laughs> and I was like, how, how much would that transform me? Kind of like Melissa's letter writing, right? How much would that transform me if I sat down and seriously thought, of a thousand things that I was thankful to God for. That would transform me, right? <laughs> so it's not just about finding things to like, to weep about, but it's finding things to rejoice about. But this takes work, right? The most meaningful things in your life will take your full passion, right? And I pray that you will give your full passion to becoming a person of prayer. And it will transform not only you, but I guarantee you, if you become a person of prayer, it will transform our church. It really will. So, um, so let me pray for us, and then, and then maybe we can, we can just pray as we sing together too. Oh God, thank you for your long-suffering with us as we, we learn what it means to be children. Father, I, I ask that we will, we will leave today trusting wholeheartedly in your character and your, God, just, just developing this conviction that God is, God is powerful and unchanging and I can come to him, but 
but to come with the appropriate reverence and awe, the fear of the Lord which begins wisdom, will maybe cause some deep changes in my heart, God, and I pray that we'll just be willing, we'll say amen as a church to that. And we'll press in. God, you are great and greatly to be praised. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.